0: Welcome to Very, Very, Far Away. I'm speaking to you at what I know is an increasingly challenging time. A time of disruption in the life of our country. A disruption that has brought grief to some, financial difficulties to many, and enormous changes to the daily lives of us all. My name is Andrew Friend and right now we are on lockdown. The world of two weeks ago seems a very, very long way away. And right now we're all experiencing a most extraordinary situation, one that the majority of us have never been in before. So during this time, we wanted to explore the question, what is normal now?
1: You may be having dinner uh, with a waiter wearing gloves, maybe a face mask. Uh, Dinner where your temperature is checked before you walk in to the establishment.
0: Over the next episodes, through online conversations, we will delve into various potential futures. We will make up fictional stories uh, which will culminate in a live performance. This is an experiment in world building, performance, and remote working. Today's episode is the start of our investigation. Sitraka Rakatoniana, and I are joined in our virtual studio by neuroscientist Chris Lewis out in Zurich. So can you tell us a little bit about what what you do out in Zurich?
2: Yes, yeah, I am uh, a neuroscientist, so I'm studying the brain and uh, studying, I mean, I think my specific interests are kind of twofold. I'm interested in learning, so kind of how the brain incorporates new knowledge or or learns new uh, skills. And then um, how individual differences kind of affect um, how people learn. I actually study animals now, but uh, historically I was studying people, so that's kind of the thing. And we use microscopies, we use um, kind of some fun techniques for that, also viruses. (laughs) Um, That's kind of the the large-scale picture, I would say.
0: We're also joined by a long-time VVFA collaborator, Michael Lewis, up in Scotland, to help us sketch out, brainstorm, and examine the different ways that we're starting to experience this strange new world. Hey, Michael. Hello. What's happening? How's it
1: going? Um... Not much. Um, yes, just uh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think about what's yeah you know, what's going on. Not not a huge amount. I mean, just uh, trapped in um, in isolation here uh, for the past three weeks. We yesterday we left our house for the first time in three weeks.
0: Um, in three weeks.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: What do you eat?
2: Well, we get, we get each <laughs> other.
0: Mud <yeah. laughs> pies. Yeah. We start our investigation looking at social interaction new forms of interaction that are emerging as a result of the social distancing measures put in place across Europe can't touch this
2: can't touch this can't touch this can't, touch this. My, 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 can't my, touch this it's it's been relatively relaxed so I think the difference is it started quite early so um, and there is this kind of announcements from the government that we shouldn't outside unless it's for kind of necessary uh, tasks but um in general like you still see like for example i was like i said i was grocery shopping on saturday and uh it was a reminder that i should always grocery shop during the week because it was just there were i mean you know quite a few people um and also at the parks and stuff like that like i went i walked to the grocery store kind of across the park and uh you know just a lot it was very nice weather here and there were a lot of people out. So.
0: We have giant queues here in, in the shops to get in. You, you have to stay two meters apart from the next person and the queue's going all around the, the kind of whole supermarket.
2: Yeah, they've marked out on the floor like kind of two meter uh, increments and they have oh,
0: like-
2: really? a, yeah, Yeah, so in our grocery store, they have like two meter increments marked out. I haven't yet encountered a line when arriving. Um, they have a quota for the number of people that can be inside uh, so, you have to take a number, um, and then uh, they have like a hand disinfection station, and uh, you, you, they give you like plastic bags to use as gloves. <laughs> 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 it's environmentally good, so
0: yeah, <laughs> it's an extraordinary sight the observation of social distancing on the street, in queues, and in public spaces. People clad cautiously in masks and gloves. Although strange, some of the most peculiar new forms of social interactions are to be found at home rather than the world outside. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a no escape from reality. For those able to work from home, social distancing measures may not only affect their productivity for better or worse. But they also have the power to fully reform their experience and perception of their work itself.
3: It's quite an interesting thing to start thinking that you don't have to be in London to actually work in a massive uh, no, no, advertising marketing agency in Shoreditch. Um, but then at the same time, the interesting thing about it, um, it feels like most of the people working in that particular industry, they're working for the sort of like social status lifestyle that it provides. You go to a cool um, office, with cool shit around and you hang out with cool people you totally work on like random crap such as like I don't know internet banner for no <laughs> something. but you are like in a really cool there's a pool table you can play ping pong and like whatever
2: I had a friend who worked in, at Leo Burnett in Chicago and it was like there are a couple of things that blew my mind one is that she had a magazine like I don't know like a magazine that came out on a quarterly basis which was just absurd like I remember that the, the uh, one of the main articles was like how can we make the Big Mac relevant to like, you know, urban teens? And, uh, and it was, I was like, I was like can, I, can I take one of these with me? And she's like, oh, that costs $3,000. I'm like, fuck off.
0: Like,
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, but they would, have, they would have concerts like regularly. They, they had like a bar, like on one of their floors, and then people would go there and they'd have like, you know, Coldplay, you know, like Chris Martin would cry on the microphone for half hours.
3: Wow. Yeah, we had the same thing where we were working. Uh, we were working at Wynn Kennedy and they, they used to have like they were so in Shoreditch and they used to have uh, on the Hanbury street they used to have two buildings one was more the office the cool thing that looks like a shop so like every once in a while there were, were always people walking down brick Lane and ringing the door to try to get into um, the office because it looks like a fucking shop uh, across uh, the street it was more like the normal building that didn't look like a shop um but they also decided to do some work on it when they decided to actually build a fake pub i mean a real pub inside the advertising agency there's literally thousands of pubs around the corner but <laughs> having a pub within the fucking agency was like no oh, that's so cool and it,
0: <laughs> it's kind of funny to think Like, you you start describing kind of a world of two weeks ago where people can walk down the street and step into a building and say, see what it is by mistake. And then that kind of quite quickly comes forward to a potential, what might be kind of more commonplace, whereby everybody has to have their own pub. You can't go to the pub next door.
3: Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, Are you starting recreating things that already exist? Um, but like a more kind of like remote version of it. I don't think this is particularly the case. I, I don't think there's any point in trying to recreate something that is based on being physically next to each other. And the only way to actually cope with this or systems that are going to be very successful are probably systems that are actually trying to steering away and inventing new sort of rituals, um, I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I do think that what we're trying to do at the moment is inventing new rituals. I mean, not even trying. It's like it's it's our coping mechanism with social distancing.
1: As you know, I am a leader in the field of spirituality, health and wellness. For that reason, what I'm about to tell you may shock you. But I'm going to ask you to let it shock you. Let it shock you awake. Because the reality that you're sitting on may just be built on shaky foundations. The reality I'm going to tell you is that the field of spirituality, those practices, most of the practices in health and wellness, self-help,
0: they're nothing more than one giant coping mechanism.
3: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, that's the, what you're saying is actually a good point. It's like this kind of atmosphere, And the fact that you get used to anything that comes, that is new, that comes to your way, it's very interesting how much like of the things that I was doing before the lockdown were related to habits that are related to the environment and atmosphere within which I'm actually situated. Since this entire environment shifted, and now I'm like mostly at home on my computer um, and doing stuff and online and etc. Just like all the the habits that are attached to my like to the pre-lockdown period I've like I mean lots, lots of them have disappeared and new ones just appeared and it's kind of interesting um because the main thing is like whatever activity I'm doing whether it's like work related um leisure or whatever, the atmosphere is always the same because the atmosphere of the confine of my room and me sitting in front of my computer. I have the best stocked survival
1: shelter in northeastern Pennsylvania, but everything has a shelf life, so I must eat and then replace everything that's about to expire. It's nice not to have to plan my meals.
2: You're eating eight-year-old tomatoes. They're still good for another week.
0: You know, I think I might have some type of cheese in the back of my fridge you might like.
2: I've got some cheese you might like, too in between my
0: toes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Hardy-har-har,
3: all right, picture this. Snowy ash drizzles from the sky. A rabid pack of dogs surrounds you as the flame at the end of your stick dies out. There's only one hope left for you, the door to my shelter. You pound, you beg, Dwight, please let me in. But I ignore your cries and do not let you in. You want to know why? Because of the sign that says no pounding, no begging. No, because you laughed at me. Do
0: we miss the interactions in the workplace? Could avoidance of proximity become even more extreme than contact? Perhaps this leads to new rules dictating where and in turn how we work. It's interesting thinking about maybe maybe there are some kind of big positives that could come out of this. If you think about how we actually live and how we work, I mean we, we've got lot, a lot less air pollution as a result of this of lack of movement and things like that. But potentially the way in which people are more able to work from from home, from their own environments, in, in businesses and in ways that they hadn't necessarily thought possible or practical before, could lead to some interesting changes perhaps, um, certainly socially but maybe um, maybe on a more urban scale as well. Um, a herd of goats have taken over the deserted streets of Llandudno in North Wales. Police were called in apparently to deal with them. Look at them. Officers that have been asked with sh- were tasked with shepherding them away from residential areas. Um, in recent days, there have been comments that they're not adhering to the two-meter social distancing guidelines, as well as you know going the wrong way down the street and various other things as well. My
1: wife has been working from home, obviously, and she's an architect, and the office is fairly small, so only three people, and they've been each working remotely, and it's been working really well. And when you think about you know not traveling in every day on the train. The cost of that, the time of that away from family. The, obviously, you can't be somewhat productive, but you're losing a lot of time. Um, and then you know you're in town, you're buying lunch out, etc. Um, and on the one hand, that's a it's a nice relief for people from family. You know, in the sense you get a little bit of individual time and you kind of um, recuperate a little bit from being in the house. But at the same time, there's a ecological footprint to that. Um, and you can be a lot more productive in some ways. So there's a certain like I guess barrier to just uh the logistics of, you know, how you can work from home. Everyone can work from home slightly differently. But anyway, she's found that she's been able to work really successfully from home, and so it does raise this question of like, okay, well when this thing lifts, can you just keep working from home? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, perhaps there could be some interesting, interesting kind of revelations made by quite a lot of people and they think actually our workforce can work productively in this way, they are able to spend more time doing other kind of things outside of work, like the idea of the four day week that they've been touting in New Zealand and places like that, um, actually maximising productivity when they're working. And then, um, then businesses not requiring themselves to have these kind of physical presence and physical workplaces necessarily and making big savings there so.
3: Yeah, stop uh, building buildings in the centre of towns. <laughs> <laughs> start, start creating a massive sprawling suburbia of workers <laughs> in the Stood by the bus
0: stop, with a felt In the
2: Um, I was just going to say that there's been within the scientific community, at least within neuroscience, uh, a push over the past years also for climate change to reduce travel because, people. I mean, especially kind of people who are big in the field, they travel almost constantly, right, to go give talks or, no.
3: you know,
2: and then there's conferences, you know, there are a couple of conferences every year and, and so on and so forth. You know, it's nothing like maybe if you're involved in like kind of international, business or something, but you still travel quite a bit. Um, and that's really been uh, accelerated, I think. Uh, I, I took part in two uh, conferences in, over the past month, which were moved online, and I think it's gonna happen a lot more. I mean, there, there are definite advantages to it. Often conferences have this sort of multi-track feature, you know, where they split into multiple rooms and then you have to kind of choose your, you know, what to focus on and you miss some stuff. There's, there's a great example, which is like the, the, the biggest neuroscience conference is the, the one in the U.S., and it's, it's really large. It's like 35,000, kind of 38,000 people. Wow. Um And so it can only take place in a couple of cities that, that are large enough. Uh, and then it can be the case that, you're, you know, you have to walk three miles, really, to go from one part of the, you know, you're in one uh, session, and then you have to walk to the opposite end of, like, the San Diego Conference Center. And, it, uh, you know, so it's just physically impossible to take part in two events. Uh, that are within like 10 minutes of each other.
3: Yeah, um, I experienced I experience the same similar thing. I was in, uh, back in October, I was in DC for a conference. Just like the logistic of finding the right room, where <laughs> the session, the technical session is happening, is actually very difficult. Like most of the time you arrive late. So you actually actually, um, there, at a certain point between like I don't know three and five, and hope that you're gonna catch the paper that you read the title of. Uh, there's lots of like very inconvenience related to like having this massive conference in real time, and most of the time people are just reading their papers, so you're just yeah. like, I've never <laughs> <fucking> read it. <laughs> I'd like...
0: yeah. rather find them all in Animal Crossing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's right. I mean. It's not a bad idea to have an island, a conference island, in an Animal Crossing.
1: It's the pseudo-language of Animal Crossing. This is what it sounds like in the Japanese version. And here's what it sounds like in the English version. They sound different, which
3: is weird because it's supposed to be nonsense, right?
1: I think, it, you know, it's interesting, to, um that these things will, you know, probably be better from a, um, Say a conference standpoint, but then when you think about uh, you know the, the implications for cities, who are in a lot of ways dependent upon the flow, the economic flow from all that tourism, and so cities like you know what I mean, any city that has a conference center, there's a huge benefit to the local economy um, from all these people coming in, and so it'll be an interesting readdressing of what these cities look like when major conferences no longer come, because obviously there will be on the one hand for the um, services industry like restaurants, whomever, there will be a loss of income that will, you know, possibly be addressed, right? So, I mean, basically, just the changing landscape of tourism and economics from a from a kind of a city level will shift pretty dramatically.
0: You could even take that as far as to say the office building not existing as well. So, if if people, if you project a little further, and people are, are all or more people are working from home, less. Offices, less people having to travel into the cities, you, you could quite easily end up in this situation with the kind of void in the centre of towns. Is this the right one for an argument? I've told you once. <laughs> no, you haven't? Yes, I have. When? <laughs> Just now? No, you didn't. Yes, I did. You didn't? I did. <laughs> didn't? I'm not telling you, I did. You did not? Oh, I'm sorry, is this a five minute argument or the full half hour? <clears throat> Oh! Oh, just the five-minute one. Fine. Thank you. Anyway, I did. You most certainly did not. Now, let's get one thing quite clear. I most definitely told you. You did not? Yes, I did. You did not? Yes, I did. Didn't? Yes, I did. Didn't? Yes, I did. No, yes, did. yes, this is an argument. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's just contradiction. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It is not. It is. You just contradicted me. No, I didn't. Oh, you did. No, 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 no. no. You did just then. No, 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 nonsense. Oh, look, this is futile. No, it isn't. I came here for a good argument. No, you didn't. You came (laughs) here for an argument. Well, an argument's not the same as contradiction. Can be. No, it can't. An argument's a connected series of statements to establish a definite proposition. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It isn't just contradiction. Look, if I argue with you, I must take up a contrary position. But it isn't just saying, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. <laughs> Argument's is an intellectual process. Contradiction is just the automatic game saying of anything the other person says. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Not at all. No, <laughs> look. I... Thank you. Mm-hmm. This right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the notion of staying at home for our own good. Is there a degree of misinformation here leading to the potential for misunderstanding between enforcer and the enforced? And does it become normal not to touch anybody when you're out and about, or to start shaming people who, who are doing things that are deemed to be dangerous, which is already happening now, so?
1: You know, what is, what is being responsible, um, and what does it mean to um, you know act act for the collective good you know the fact that you know as you know our demographic we're pretty low risk right um so our staying at home is largely an act of public good it, it has been interesting to watch this like mass-scale mobilization of people acting out of a collective sense of good and i think there is something you know we, i think we've maybe not talked about the kind of deeper ethics of um the communal experience that people are going through and that that there's a it's truly global right um
3: yeah, we slowly becoming all socialist. Weird. We?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, that's the, that's the thing. I guess on the on the bad side is I think optimistically, that that is the case that like things like universal public income or maybe like uh, reduced work hours or you know work from home, things being more flexible. There's some aspect where that may be the case, but I, I think cynically like what what the long term consequences of this are is, is probably actually maybe corporations grabbing more power mm. and also i mean i actually I'm, I'm someone who in general would like to trust the government of course it makes it difficult sometimes <laughs> given the situation but but you hope that there were some sort of like like you mean just things like the C, like uh the, Senate, the CDC or like NIH and these sorts of institutions also in Europe the molecular biology lab and stuff like that um, you know, they go through these kind of constant political cycles of funding and defunding. And, like, you know, so this is this virus that we have right now is very similar to the first SARS, right? And mm-hmm. th- there were warnings in the 90s that this was going to happen, you know? So it's like completely predicted, but it's very hard to get money for those things. Yeah. There's,
3: there's another thing as well. I mean, when uh, Mike, you were talking about like this idea of staying home as a general sense of good, I think. Um, it's it's interesting because I think it's also misleading uh, in some ways, in the way it's being portrayed. Uh, in the sense that, yes, of course, like the idea of like um, preventing the spread, but it's not really to prevent it. It's like rather slowing it mm-hmm. down so our healthcare system actually can cope. The main problem that I found in here is not necessarily related to death or being sick and etc. It's related to just being able to uh earn money and keep on functioning and paying the rent and etc because even if the lockdown is being announced and it's not enforced as a, a general public nationwide policy where rent is being cancelled and other shits been cancelled like bills and stuff like that because if this was the case i'm kind of be like almost certain that it would be easier to keep people inside and easier to to actually find people as soon as they're outside for absolutely no reason. But I think it it works with this idea of trusting the government as well, because in the sense that the government is like, okay, you're telling telling people to stay at home, but at the same time, you're dealing very badly with the idea of like paying people for staying at home. Like for instance, the way they dealt with the self-employed in the UK, felt almost like they completely forgot that there were lots of self employed <laughs> in the UK. <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh yeah, by the way, these guys. And then when they announced that they're gonna do something, it's just like, yeah, we're gonna do something in three months' time. Right. And so I mean all, all to say that we we are perceived in a way that we are collectively doing something like for the good of like other people by staying inside, etc. But really what we're trying to do is like um, keep the way the world is functioning Working and not changing. For the
0: perfect pint, you first tilt the glass to a 45 degree position
3: until it's halfway full, and then you straighten up into an upright position. And there we have a perfect pint.
0: But does a great looking pint make it taste any better? Old rituals die hard. Like having a drink. Is it really the same through a webcam?
3: I haven't been drinking in three weeks at all. Like the only reason why I mostly go for beers and etc. is because I'm within a social group of people. And we go after we worked all day and etcetera and whatever. You know what I mean? Like and the idea of actually going for a drink didn't cross my mind uh, a single time within the last three months uh, three weeks three months it feels like three months (laughs) (laughs) because you haven't been drinking
1: (laughs) i don't know because we're like both at home and like you know getting through the day of like engaging with the kids and you know being like in the house somehow drinking in the evening feels like a way of like celebrating this thing so trying to turn it into something which is um not a burden but like let's let's uh it it is abnormal yeah drinking prosecco in the middle of a tuesday um and Mm, like just like
3: you know very bizarre (laughs) that's how that sounds my life pre
1: though (laughs) Uh, yeah you know it's, it's a i haven't really i haven't thought about why we're doing it but it's we certainly are doing it um and it is a it is a modification of our behavior for sure
0: perhaps digital platforms and environments can be used to create new rituals rather than simply being used as a place for the existing ones we already have to take place.
1: You know we, we've got a lot of good things in North Berwick but one of the things we don't have is a good pub and so I never go to the pub because the pubs kind of suck so it's like but I, I walked past it and I'm like you know all that, like, just the idea of going to a pub so we were talking earlier about like uh you know video games and how video games have this like opportunity to um shift possibly how people are going to places like animal crossing or whatever just to kind of hang out so there's a romance to going to that romance is about i guess like the burble of noise in the background and it's about like um you know being being close to a friend i mean you know we're watching movies i legitimately feel awkward watching people touch or like walk close to each other you know i'm like oh that's that's a bit uh, that's a bit irresponsible uh and so, you know, it's funny how quickly your mindset shifts to, like, suddenly watching media feels very different. And so you wonder, like, how, do, how does Zoom get redesigned? How does something like that shift so that it suddenly kind of starts to become about atmosphere and things like this? And you feel like that's maybe where video games have a larger role to play or an opportunity, which is to provide um, to, or to tap into that romance of what it means to go to a cafe. I love
0: you. Right. That's why you tried to kill me.
1: No, I'd never do anything to hurt you. I want you to come back
0: to me. Bullshit. What's bullshit, Mr. Quaid? That you're having a paranoid episode triggered by acute neurochemical trauma? Or that you're really an invincible secret agent from Mars who's the victim of an interplanetary conspiracy to make him think he's a lowly construction worker? Stop punishing yourself, Doc. You're a fine, upstanding man. You have a beautiful wife that loves you. Your whole life is ahead of you. But you've got to want to return to reality. Taking your life into your own hands just to risk it for that nostalgia. the touch of death leads to a death of touch.
3: You don't look like Tanaka. Shidoshi Tanaka Train me. What's well, the whole world? He says Senzo Tanaka is his Shidoshi. What's the difference if Bruce Springsteen is a shidoshi? If Senzo Tanaka is his shidoshi, then show us the dimmac.
2: What the hell
3: is a dimmac?
2: Death touch. Yeah, I think the thing that we haven't really talked about with regard to this is that like, what, what about like pro, like pr- preventive measures or protective measures like prophylactic against against viruses that'll be developed? I mean, can you have a shield of some sort? I mean, here, here they, in the shops, the post office and stuff, They've installed like uh, you know kind of like this bank teller like plastic or plexiglass shields and stuff. I I, I used to do a lot of outdoors stuff and there like the like one thing I've always really liked about it is like the gear's like function is like, like a very high point right and so you come in, often have this kind of meeting of of uh, form and function because it has to be really essential too right like you don't want to carry unnecessary stuff into the you know the wilderness and so you have these really you know gear that kind of does a lot of things for you. And I and I wonder if like our streetwear won't start to incorporate these sorts of elements, you know? Yeah, that's very William Gibson.
0: Yeah. Urban virus yeah. protection gear. Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. It's either a William Gibson story or it's a you Neal know, Stephenson story. It might be Diamond Age, where they have kind of ambient, um, you know, micro drones which do sort of like DNA screening for like infection infectious agents, and so you have sort of like you know, always like some cloud of, of these these uh, things in the air, and then they can kind of swarm. And then if you have a, a region which has some sort of outbreak, you know, it's it's, it's really quickly kind of like uh, realized and, and, and uh, you know, sent up the chain or so to say. There is something kind of sexy about the
1: idea of these future systems for um, the apparatus, you know, the, the, the
2: article of clothing as an apparatus. I mean, think about how successful North Face became like that. And, and, and that is essentially like the fetishization of, of equipment. I mean, it is like ultimately those key, that, that those coats were made the way they were. I mean, also people just want to stay dry, maybe. And they're really dry, <laughs> but like, <laughs> <laughs> now don't be scared. I'm a doctor.
0: Where am I? A special laboratory in Nevada. We brought you here. You're sick. In a true biological crisis, which our exploration of space could bring about, the present lunar receiving laboratory might prove inadequate therefore urge the establishment of a facility to deal specifically with an extraterrestrial form of life. Seems to me, General, Dr. Stone put one over on you. In fact, he made us all think his wildfire lab could handle any contamination from outer space. Isolate and identify. Good God. It's no accident. I suspect they were looking for the ultimate biological weapon.
3: You could change everything.
2: Genome sequencing is one of those things which is just like astronomical in its rate of, uh, you know, acceleration. Like everyone talks about Moore's law as like the classic kind of exponential law for technology. But if you plot actually the price uh, per base pair to sequence the genome, um, like when it was first done during the genome project in the nineties, it, it cost a hundred million for one genome essentially. And that that has fallen now till to it's like a hundred dollars for a genome. And so it's it, it's it's like exp- on on the exponential curve for like uh, Moore's law. It's even exponential on that. So it's so much faster, uh, <laughs> and um, I, you know you, you you know it's still like cl- classic. Like it's still done largely in the classical way. But there are kind of next generation technologies um, like DNA nanopores, which are super. Uh, cheap and and they're still unreliable but you can imagine certainly a not too distant future in which you can have that sort of like carry this around with you and this will sense like you know contamination in the atmosphere um so, so and at least what alert you a to
0: dna nanopore?
2: yeah it's just it's essentially like a, so so you know like the way sequencing is done or at least one element of it is, is the fact that like uh dna um is charged like when you separate it um, and so you can use like a, a voltage to like move it essentially, like electrophoresis. So so essentially, what it is is it's like a, a little pore, so like a nanopore. <laughs> um, so it's it's a roughly the diameter that DNA or RNA can fit through. You, it it has a charge on. It has like a voltage across it, and then based on the charge of the different DNA or RNA pair, like base pair. Um, in this case, it's separated, so it's a single chain. So it's like a single uh, element of DNA. Um, it'll deform the pore shape as it goes through the different amounts based on how much, what its size is and what a charge distribution is. Mm-hmm. And so you get a little, based on that, you get a little current. Um, and then from that current, you can basically determine what the base pair was. So you can do things like, this. so if you have like a template, you can do things like rapid screening for like foreign DNA and stuff like that. Uh, it's still, like I said, it's still like very much in development, but I think in the next 10 to 20 years, it's not unlo- it's not impossible at least that we would have like a little card you carry around, it starts to turn, like, orangish, ish um, you know. The, yeah. the problem is, like, how fast can it operate, actually?
3: Yeah, the thing that, this is exactly what I was thinking, because um, even rather than having a device where it actually uh, gives you a card or, like, like when you test pH neutrality yeah. and, uh, and stuff like that, the it would be quite interesting if it actually could see, you could spray these things all over yourself before going out or even if you're wearing it as makeup or whatever and then see if you've got like stains appearing mm. <laughs> <as> you, <laughs> as you around the To it's like oh this person is sick is literally blue <laughs> <laughs> bad energy <laughs> maybe it's
0: maybe it's a good time now to start to to kind of think back to some of the things that we've been looking at so far this morning and, and um or today and start to 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 find some of these new normals that we're trying to look at then. So we're having some ideas about a PPE shifting from being this um, quite invasive um, artefacts, items of clothing that you're wearing which are kind of getting in the way of you interacting with people and almost a burden or they're kind of putting, a, like they're wearing a mask and people, certain presidents saying, ah yeah, you should wear a mask, but uh, you wouldn't see me wearing a mask, it would be weird this kind of thing, maybe maybe a normalization of that becomes uh, apparent. And then certain things, thinking about trust. How much do we trust everybody? How much do we trust our institutions and the mechanisms behind which they're, they're operating? I don't know if other, other things that jumped out to anybody.
3: If we start having technology that actually can show you things that you usually don't see, the world is going to become like a fucking scary place yeah, to be yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because you t- you take the tube you're gonna see that fall. it's gonna be <laughs> fucking horrible <laughs> and be like oh, i'm yeah, not yeah. taking the tube ever again this is not happening like <laughs>
1: hello i'm johnny cat where can i take you tonight drive drive would you please repeat the destination oh anywhere just go go please state a street and number shit shit I'm not familiar with that address. Would you please repeat
0: that? Technology is often the given response to times of uncertainty and crisis. In our current situation, automation might come out as a big winner. What if machines keep the world turning whilst we humans are confined inside our homes?
3: We touched a little bit on uh, that, but I think we, we we actually didn't talk that much about it. But uh, the um, the idea of automation as... Kind of being accelerated it's actually it's like it almost feels like a new a normal thing to do now is looking at what are all the things that can be automated whether for good or bad reasons like for instance uh chris how do you work if you work based on uh experiments in the lab
2: yeah, I'm I'm fortunate now that I have a lot of projects that are kind of in a late stage. So I can I can I'm working on manuscripts and, and on some analysis, which I can do then remotely very easily. Right. Um, but there is there are interesting de, interesting developments like in automated. One of like especially with animal work, one of the big time consuming aspects is actually training the animals to do what you want them to do. You know, um, so for yeah. people who are working on projects, especially if you have to try to train like train an animal to do something that's kind of tricky, uh, it can really take weeks to months uh to longer and so there has been like slow development also in automating this just because to ease the burden on students and on people who have to train animals um like i remember early things with just basically putting touch screens into the cages of animals interact with the touch screens basically to teach themselves simple tasks that way um but more recently there have been kind of amazing systems like there's someone in, in, in princeton named carlos brody Uh, he has a kind of incredible system set up there where they can train, uh, hundreds of rats, uh, and the rats basically do it on their own. So it's basically the way they get food is they have to go and they basically walk down a hallway, like a little, you know, plexiglass, uh, hallway to a station, the station automatically secures them in, and then they can basically perform a certain number of trials and then go back to their cage. So They can kind of continuously do the task when they want to. Um, and he actually has most recently modified it so that, uh, System, like basically, like a, a microscope can automatically attach itself to their head when they so basically they walk in, they have a little like they have a little uh steel plate attached to their skull, um, and then uh it basically clicks into place, uh, and then the microscope lowers, and so you can basically be at home and they have this all then uh streamed to the web, so you can watch your, your mouse doing its behavior, or your rat rather, doing its behaviors, um. You know, basically from home and then and collect the data on a big server. Oh, uh, before we start, I'd just like to explain. Major Costa violation of Penal Code two, two, one, nine today at bus stop thirty four B. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. You see, I believe there's been a misunderstanding. Immediate extension of parole by a further eight months. Wait, what? No, 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 no. I can explain what happened. I just made a joke. And, uh, you know, stop
0: talking. Elevation and heart rate detected. Would you like a pill? No.
2: Thank you. What I'd like to do is explain. Stop Personality matrix suggests a seventy-eight point three percent chance of regression to old behavior patterns. Grand Zebano, assault with a deadly weapon, resisting arrest. Would you like to talk to a human? The
1: kind of thing that you made me think of, which was uh, WWNOC the other day, and this—they uh, had the kind of transport minister, whomever he is a subway driver called in and was kind of like grilling him about um, how unsafe the conditions are for the subway drivers and how poorly the Metro um, has kind of reacted. And the kind of, you know, the arguments that he was delivering were about the difficulty of secluding the drivers, the difficulty of getting the drivers into and out of the stations, etc. Delivering this argument, I'm like, you're basically giving away your job because, you know, the in, in London, certainly I understand the situation better in, in terms of how the unions have struck over the years, um, resisting measures to automate the tube services and things. Um, kind of thing that, you know, you need the tubes to run, to be able to deliver key workers, etc. And yet you need to be able to ensure the safety, what more safe thing to be driving that than a robot. Uh, And it is, you know, again, as we kind of like very briefly touched on, there seems to be over the past few weeks, this acceleration towards the justifications and the necessity for mass scale automation.
0: Key workers now have increased importance, or maybe it's fairer to say visibility, though with the potential for infection or cross-contamination at such high levels this may change as workers' roles are replaced by cheaper, less vulnerable automated systems. Restrictions on who can work and the types of activities that are permitted lead to questions of what, and importantly who, is essential.
1: Um, Have said, you know, that there are only going to be essential goods. Um, I'd be curious to, you know, kind of determine for Amazon, you know, because for the government to determine what is an essential good is obviously very different than Amazon determining what that is. And they're obviously in this kind of interesting ethical position where they obviously want to make as much money as they possibly can. And with people being housebound, people's, you know, shopping behaviors have largely migrated online and probably more people want to be spending money on Amazon or at least people maybe don't want to but are going to be spending more money on amazon and so um how is a business you kind of you know uh make as much money as you can and publicly appearing to be doing the right thing which is only supply traditional goods um and things
3: but it's also quite interesting uh, from a perspective of like uh the definition of what's essential and non-essential workers as well uh in that particular situation because then if you have like If you're Amazon, then, and whatever people are buying onto these things, uh, onto this website, then you as a delivery person become like an essential cog for the entire kind of industry to actually function. The essential workers that are being highlighted mostly in the media are often the guys who have like the lowest paid jobs. (laughs) Like, uh, I don't know, like the people are taking out the rubbish and stuff like that. It's quite an interesting... Um, shift in perception, most of the people making lots of money, they probably use services or are um, uh, lending property, so not necessarily producing anything. So they're not in the manufacture of goods, but they're in the exploitation of these goods. And you realize that the, I I do think that this particular situation right now kind of highlight the fact that everything that is essential, are like the people who actually at the end of the kind of cycle actually don't get much money or much they're very underrated
0: could the essential be incentivized or rewarded
2: I, I totally agree i think there's a, a crazy statistic for the united states which is i, I don't know the exact numbers but it's something like 50 percent of households can't accommodate an unexpected 400 charge basically. so almost everyone is like super ex- over, overextended you know and it's like it's the same thing i mean if it's if you know, $2 trillion or even more now, bailout, it, it, it's it's the classic thing where it all goes to the top. I mean, I think it was the same in 2008 where it goes to the banks. And
3: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: if you give this money to the people, they're going to spend the money because they, they don't have savings, oh. actually. They don't, they don't have a billion dollars in the bank, like, you know. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's yeah, crazy exactly. to me too, because this, like, I think the UK and the US are very similar in this regard, perhaps, uh, in that they really... There's some sort of idea that if you made a lot of money, you did this through, you know, somehow some, you know, merits and things like this. And that if you haven't made a lot of money, it's because you kind of lack those merits. And so it's a very reverse kind of, yeah. uh, I think it goes back to what you said earlier too, like inverting this sort of essential work thing, because all the white collar workers can work from home. And all the all the people who, who actually make things and deliver things have to, the service workers have to go in. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. I think I think there should be like a scale of like uh, essential and non-essential uh, next to your qualification and what's your job and etc. So my job would be definitely non-essential <laughs> and I wouldn't have that bonus <laughs> at the end of the month. <laughs> Soaps and related compounds due to their detergent properties are also effective in the mechanical cleansing of hands. Soap lather permits water to penetrate the skin pores and wash away dirt and other foreign matter.
0: How might we get through this? We need testing and ultimately to develop a vaccine, though these processes are both expensive and very time consuming. In the last fortnight the UK government has essentially nationalised the economy. Could collective ownership, based on greater good rather than profit, even if only temporarily, be a way forwards?
2: The pharmaceutical industry is super privatised and there's not profit incentive for them to develop. Vaccines—it's very expensive to develop vaccines, and there's no profit if it's not going to—if it's not immediate. If they don't have a buyer tomorrow, Um, so either for for governments to become, you know, so so so-called market makers and and provide a constant, um, you know, constantly buy vaccines, even if they have to throw them away in five years because they're not used, um, you know, or or for somehow because I mean, actually, the, the way that the way that the pharmacy industry is. Um, realized right now is very strange because basically the same organization is doing the basic research often and is also doing the manufacturing Um, and so they have a weird uh, profit incentive where because they have to spend billions of dollars basically to to get a single drug Um, then they have to make it very expensive right to to do uh, to recoup those costs and so one possibility is actually to decouple research into drugs from manufacturing so you have basically big pharma only providing a manufacturing role. Um, and so their interest would no longer be on trying to, to generate new drugs, but would be only on producing drugs. Uh, anyway, like cynically, I think this will all be forgotten. In, you know, basically in, in eight months.
3: <laughs> Our doomsday scheme costs us just a small fraction of what we've been spending on the fence in a single year. But the deciding factor was when we learned that your country was working along similar lines, and we were afraid of a doomsday gap. This is preposterous. I've never approved of anything like that. Our source was the New York
0: Times. Can we trust our leaders to make the best or the right decisions? Do they all need to be physically present? Whose interests are they working in? Perhaps a lack of presence leads to a further lack in understanding. Or perhaps there are benefits to obligatory decentralisation. The, the idea of doing all of this remotely is, is um it, it could maybe be extended to certain aspects of governance as well at the moment we 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 have a kind of the government's kind of on lockdown and they're all on holiday but when they clack there's going to have to be some new ways of of organizing this and starting to have all of the different um submitters meeting remotely meeting online Well,
1: I was listening to something, I mean, there's a very real chance that this will be happening next November. If you forget how badly the caucus was bungled, um, the Democratic caucus was bungled in the States, yeah, um, you know, the online systems were not, did not work. Right. So the Iowa caucus was a, you know, complete disaster. And so you think um, about, okay, well, you can't postpone the election. I mean, it would be interesting to see how this plays into Trump's advantage. But, you know, the the election, whether the election goes forward, the election can't go forward according to traditional means, you know, in-person voting. So you probably have to shift things online or dramatically shift protocols. Um, in either case, you're gonna have massive disruption. And the, if you're trying to rush a digital system in place, the opportunities or the vulnerabilities that exist and the opportunities for interference are obviously increased. Looming the distance are these, yeah, absolutely enormous implications for um, elections around the world.
3: Yeah, it's an interesting thing what you're talking about in terms of like rushing um, digital infrastructures, logistic and stuff like that, because within the past few weeks, things have moved on so quickly. Policies within London or within the UK, like things changing every almost single day. Um, uh, Now... Having Boris Johnson live from the hospital, as I believe.
0: Unwilling um, <laughs> to give up that iron grasp on power. <sighs>
3: <laughs>
1: the <laughs> country I'll needs do. stability, Andrew.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, things are like shifting and moving forward so quickly. It's it's almost like everything is in some sort of like suspended state where everything goes and we create new things very quickly because we have to to have like a very quick response without having. The, the time to actually properly think about the consequences of it all I don't know what's going to happen but definitely voting online is going to be a huge thing but there's going to be lots of kind of um, trust being put in the idea that people can behave like normally and this is usually like a good kind of combo of things of like okay we can't Go forward unless we start trusting the people who are actually living in this particular constituency. But then, actually, you realise that it's probably your biggest mistake. (laughs) You shouldn't trust people (laughs) because they can't even trust their home. (laughs) So, because of the automated and irrevocable decision-making process, which rules out human meddling, the doomsday machine is terrifying. It's simple to understand and completely credible
0: and convincing. Social isolation, remote working, governance and relationships are all becoming more and more normal as we become familiar with a world in lockdown. The ability to travel easily and cheaply across continents has been replaced by a new hyper-localized existence. A world where opening the door and stepping outside could lead to furthering the spread of disease, infection and the potential for serious illness. A world that has very quickly and with surprisingly little resistance become accepted and commonplace. Join us next time when we will be extending the conversation and starting to imagine some of the possible futures that stem from this new normality. Can't touch this. Can't
2: touch this. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. this.